All right, well, hey, good morning, LifePoint Church. It's so great to be with you guys. My name's Chris Bell, and I'm uh, from South Alabama, and thank you guys for allowing me into the state of Ohio, okay, without giving me a hard time. I, I, I could hear you guys about a month ago when Nick Saban decided to retire uh, from football. I could hear the Ohio people cheering, so it's really good to know that we could bring you such joy, okay? But from what I've heard, you guys know how to play football up here too. So I'm just going to leave it there. And there is a ubiquitous phrase that we use where I am from. And it's a very famous phrase. And I'm not going to use it right now because, well, I want you to listen to me today and not run me off this stage, okay? So I refuse to say roll tide. Well, there I did it. I did it. That's my bad. So I refuse to say that from this stage. Hey, we're going to dive in. Now, you guys are in a really great series uh, right now. And by the way, it's an honor to be at this great church. I don't know if you know this, what you're, what you're seeing happen here at this incredible church with your incredible leadership, like pastor Dean and the whole bunch, this is not normal guys. This is like awesome. What's happening here. And can you just kind of, can you just praise the Lord right now? Just give the Lord a hand for what he's doing here at your church. I love your pastor and I love what's happening here. So it was a huge honor to be able to come and, and speak. Now, the, the movie Wonka is actually a prequel to the Willy Wonka story, and it kind of tells you how it all happened, right? This guy had this recipe, if you will, for the best chocolate in the world, and in his mind, he thought, this is going to make me rich, this is going to make me famous, and that was kind of the drive of his life, right, to, to have all that happen. And, and, and in the prequel, we learned that, that he, he has some rivals out there, some people with other chocolate that were not the quality. It was not as good as his, but... Uh, they did not want him in the mix. So they get him in trouble, right? They get him thrown in prison, all this stuff. They trump up charges against him. And in the end, he realizes that this thing he has is not just for him. It's not for him to just be famous, not just to make a bunch of money and become wealthy. He's got something for the world to enjoy. The world's been in, enjoying lesser chocolate in, in, in his eyes. And so the whole story is that he figures out a way to get his chocolate out to the world. And, and we're going to talk about something very similar in the Bible today. Because God actually tells us as believers that we have something in us that the world needs. We have something in us that if we will let God do this work inside of us, it will overflow and it will impact the world around us. That's exactly what we're going to look at today. And to do so, I kind of want to go to a very famous place in the scriptures. We're going to go there and I'm going to read to you a statement Jesus made that, well, if you've been around church very long at all, you have heard this before. But I bet you didn't know where he said it or why he said it or who he said it to or when he said it. And when I tell you those things, it's going to help you understand why this statement that he made is so very important. And to do so, I need to tell you the context. So there was, there was this thing in the Jewish world, in the ancient world, and it's still around today, where there are these feasts and festivals that the people of God would have, would do, to commemorate certain things that God had done for them. Now, we're all familiar with the Passover, right? The feast and festival of the Passover. And we all know how serious that is, that Jesus completed that on the cross. But there's another one called the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's the one I want to talk to you about today. Let me tell you why the Feast of the Tabernacles was so fun. It was so awesome. Because where Passover was so serious, the Feast of the Tabernacles was one big week-long party. It literally lasted a week, man. The ancient Jews, they knew how to party. Like, we, we throw a party. It's like, y'all want to come over tonight? They were like, take off work for a week. We're going to party, okay? And so they partied all week long at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Everyone would take off work, and they would come to Jerusalem. And families loved it, friends loved it, the kids loved it, everyone had fun. 
because they would come to Jerusalem. Thousands on top of thousands on top of thousands of people would come. And the city would allow, and they still do this to this day, they would allow the people to take over the streets and the sides of the streets and they would build many tabernacles. So every family would build their own little version of a tabernacle. In fact, here's some, some pictures to help you guys understand. It's still going on to this day. This is what it looks like. So a family would, would put a lot of work into building their little mini tabernacle. There'd be competition. Who made the best one, right? And, and let me tell you what this was like, by the way, since y'all like football and I do too. And, and you guys are pretty good at it. And, and we're pretty good at it too. <clears throat> um, it's, this is ancient world tailgating. That's what this is. They tailgated for with. That's part of the fun, right? Like here's another shot of what it, look, what it looks like. To this day, they would take over. They literally stack it. So if you lived in town, you would do it out on the side of your house. If you were coming in from out of town, you would do it on the sides of the roads. And they would build many booths, many tabernacles. Here's one more shot to just show you what this looked like. And it was so fun. <clears throat> now, I don't know how y'all uh, tailgate up here. I, I'm down south. And, and when I, a lot of people think Alabama, they don't realize we have some of the prettiest beaches in the world. That's where I am. I'm down on the beach, down on the Gulf Coast. New Orleans is on one side of me. Uh, Panama City, Destin, all that's on the other side of us. And so when we tailgate, we do things like gumbo. Y'all ever heard of gumbo up here? Do y'all do gumbo in Ohio? Okay, gumbo is delicious. Okay, I'm just helping you here. It's really good. We do things like crawfish. You ever heard of crawfish? A lot of people think crawfish, they're like, do y'all get those out of ditches? Where do y'all get those down there in the south? We do not get them out of ditches. We get them out of muddy ponds, all right? <laughs> far, far better. And so that's how we tailgate. I'm sure you tailgate a certain way up here, but here's the deal. It's just a big party. And so what they would do is they would do that all week long. For six days, you would have fun. You'd have a good time. You would dance. If you were a Baptist, you would watch others dance. Um, it's just, I'm just having a little fun with you guys, just a little fun. So that's what would happen all week long. But then at the end of the week, this fun feast and festival, the tabernacles would become serious. It would become really serious because on the last day, and they would call it the great day, everyone would get quiet and they would crowd the street so that everyone could see and it would be spread apart this long road and they would look down on what was about to happen. And the priest would come out and they would have these big golden cisterns that would hold water. And they would walk down the road in total silence. Everybody got quiet. If you were parents with little kids, you'd tell your kids to be quiet. If you had brought the dog, dog be quiet. If, if you were one of those people that brought your cat, and hopefully you would not have brought a cat, but if you did bring a cat, you know, I'm just kidding. Cats are fine. I don't like them, but if you like them, that's fine. Anyway, so everybody had to be quiet. Pets, kids, everyone. And they would watch this moment. And so these priests would walk with empty cisterns and they'd go to this special place where they would get water and scoop it in. And then they would carefully walk back with these things in their hands. And they would go to this special altar sacrifice place and they would pour out that water. And when they poured that water out, the crowd would erupt. This crowd that had been silent would erupt in praise and worship. And they would quote a scripture from the Old Testament. You know what the scripture said? The scripture would say this. God, you provided for us water in the desert, in the wilderness, and we believe you're going to provide for us salvation. Now, what the whole feast was to commemorate, Passover, we know, was to commemorate the Jews putting the blood on the door, right, in Egypt, and the death angel flying over and passing over them. We know that. The Feast of the Tabernacles commemorated that when the people of God were in the desert and they ran out of water, 
God provided them water. You do understand in the ancient world when Moses had all those folks out in the desert and they ran out of water, that was a big deal. Because they didn't have like an Aquafina or a Dasani machine around the corner. They didn't have uh, Yeti coolers. You know, Yeti coolers, they're big where I am. Like a Yeti cooler is so heavy, if a tornado's hitting, you could tie yourself to one and you're going to be fine. <laughs> Just tie, tie it off, right? Thousand bucks for a cooler that you can't carry unless you've got four people, but whatever, okay? It'll, it'll keep ice from melting for days, though, and, and that must be worth it, all right? So anyway, they didn't have Yeti coolers. They didn't have those in the desert. And so they ran out of water. They needed a miracle, and God provided that. But the Jews understood that that was a preview to something even greater God was going to do, that the God who gave them water would also give them salvation. Okay. So the last great day, everybody watches all of that happen, and that happens every year for year after year, decade after decade, hundreds of years they've been doing this. But on this day, when the Feast of the Tabernacles took place, guess who showed up? Jesus. Jesus decided that he would go this year. And he and his disciples show up at the feast. They're there all week long. They're hanging out. They're having a good time. They're tailgating with everyone else. They're listening to, I don't know, music. They're dancing. They're laughing. Yes, Jesus laughed. They did all of those things. Jesus didn't walk around with a choir behind him all the time. Ooh, he, no, he, no, 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 real, he was real. And then that last day came. John, in fact, wants you. John was a young man when this happened. He wanted you to know, here's when this happened. Let's go and look at what he said. John 7, 37 through 38. It says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Everyone say the great day. Now you know what day that is, right? It's the day. The priests are carrying the water. Everyone's quiet. It's the day everyone's been waiting on, right? John wants you to know it's that day, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, let's hit the pause button. We'll come back to it. We need to understand the moment here. John was talking to people who knew when he said, hey, it was on the last day, the great day, that Jesus stood up and cried out. The whole, everyone who heard about it went, oh, he did what? It'd be like you running on the field in the middle of the Super Bowl and stopping the whole game and grabbing the mic and talking to everyone for a moment. My, I have three kids, beautiful wife, three kids, and I got two sons and a daughter. And my middle son's name is Cooper. And when Cooper was a little boy, he could not pronounce his R's. He had a lisp. And we loved it so much. It was so cute that the day he, the, the first time I ever heard him pronounce an R, we all cried. That's how great it was. So around the table, he learned this word over the years, and it became his favorite word, and it was the word awkward. He loved the word awkward. And here's what would happen. We'd be at the table, and if someone spilled something at the table, my little boy would grin, he would smile, and he'd say, awkward, because he couldn't say his R's. So everyone help me out here. Awkward, say it without the R. Awkward. He would say that all the time. Uh, if, if his older brother got in trouble, he would look around and go, awkward, and, and, and all the time. I remember this one time we were, my, I was in the car, my wife was driving, and, and she, she didn't quite uh, see a stop sign. We, we went through the stop sign, and I, and I gently corrected the traffic violation by letting her know about it, and she let me know that she did not need my gentle correction. And I could hear in the back seat behind me my son look up and go, awkward. <laughs> Because he knew that although mommy had made a mistake, daddy was the one in big trouble. You know what I'm saying? 
If my son would have been there that day, if he would have been there, when Jesus stood up and interrupted, can you imagine Jesus cries out? The guys are holding the, they like almost spill the water. Everyone's silent. They're all looking at him. A hundred thousand people are like, what is going on? And this guy starts screaming. He says he cried out. It's the same phrase that's used on the cross when he cried out on the cross. He's not being quiet. If my son Cooper would have been there, he would have said what? Yes, he would have because it was awkward. It was a very awkward moment. John wants you to know, John's like, we did not know what Jesus was doing. He interrupts the feast and the festival, and here's what he says. You ready? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then he sat back down. Can you imagine that moment? He's screaming at the top of his lungs. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And if you do that, if you'll believe in me, I'll make not only you have water, but it'll flow out of you to others. Well, that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do for those people. And as we dive into this today, we need to know what is Jesus talking about here? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that feast and that festival, remember I told you the whole thing was to commemorate that God had provided water in the desert. And what was the other thing? It was that they believed he was going to provide salvation. What Jesus was doing is he was saying, hey, this whole thing that's happening right now, it's about me. You don't ever have to do this again. I'm here now. The preview time is over. The main event has arrived. That's what he's saying. I want you to understand a concept. All of those feasts and festivals, all that stuff in the Old Testament, they were like, since we're in a movie series right now, it was like a preview to a movie. Now, I love movies. Where are my movie people? Do y'all love movies? Absolutely. I got three people and everybody else is, maybe. All right, so movies are awesome, but we all know that there are previews to them. Now, I'm a big history guy. I got really excited last year when I saw the first previews to the movie Napoleon that was coming out because I love history. And so I couldn't, but Joaquin Phoenix was going to play him, and I knew what a big, towering figure Napoleon had been. So my wife would tell me when I, would, I was looking for the next preview, and they looked so great. My wife was like, settle down, dude. It's going to be like three months, and you're going to have to wait. The previews were so good. And then I went and saw the movie, and the movie like it was as good as the previews. But have you ever watched previews to a movie and thought, I can't wait to see that? And then you go and you spend your money, your 20 bucks for the ticket, your 80 bucks for the popcorn, and your 30 bucks for the Coke. <laughs> and you sit down, and after the movie, you realize the best thing about that movie was, were the previews. You ever, you ever had that happen? You're like, they put everything they had into that preview. The rest of the movie was nothing. It was all about that preview, right? It's such a disappointment. That, that is not the case in the Bible. Jesus absolutely equals and blows away all the previews. And what he's saying when he interrupts this feast is he's saying, hey, you don't have to do this anymore. I'm here to quench your thirst, and I'm here to, to bring salvation. And the first question he asks is this. He says, is anyone thirsty? He knew they were thirsty. And what I know today standing in front of you today and all of you online and at all the campuses of LifePoint today is this. Listen, Christians and non-Christians, today, whether you're a believer or not, we get thirsty. In fact, our bodies and our souls get thirsty. We need to understand this concept. God made us all physical and spiritual, right? Everyone just kind of pinch your hand, okay? See, you're there. You're real, okay? You've got a body, right? Make sure you got a pulse. If, if your heart's not beating, please lift your hand. We have a team that'll come and help you right now. We'll get that thing going again, okay? So, all right? We're physical beings. We have hearts and lungs and blood, 
We're alive. We've got brains and eyes and hands and feet. We are living creatures, but we're also spiritual. How many of you know that you have a part of you that people can't see, but it makes you who you really are? There's a place where you feel and think and decide. The Bible calls it your spiritual person, your soul, your mind, your heart. Okay, now watch this. Just like your physical body gets thirsty, your soul gets thirsty too. The, the invisible part of you gets thirsty. Now listen, listen, church. And if you think physical dehydration is dangerous and a big deal, it's not close to being as dangerous as spiritual dehydration is. Because if you get thirsty enough physically, you'll drink almost anything. Even more dangerous is that if you get thirsty enough spiritually, you'll believe almost anything. And you'll take actions that you never thought you could possibly take. Our souls get thirsty. Even as Christians, we get thirsty. And Jesus is saying to these people, by the way, those were church people. They weren't the Romans. They were the Jews. They were there. That was basically a week-long revival. It was a revival. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? That's how we do it in the South anyway. Get a little tambourine. Mm, mm, mm. You know what I mean? We have church. That's what they were doing all week. It was one big potluck dinner. Dinner on the grounds. But watch. They were so close to the water. But Jesus realized they weren't taking a drink. They'd been playing the religious game. But they had not taken a drink of him. And it's, th this is the principle. Proximity and knowledge of water do not equate to drinking water. They're not the same thing. You, I, listen. If I get thirsty while I'm standing here, I can look at that bottle all day long and it will not quench my thirst. I got to drink it. I, 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 can, I can read where it's bottled and where it's from, but that will not be enough. I have to actually drink the water. It's not enough to just be near it. I've got to actually experience it. And here's what you need to understand. Thirsty people become vulnerable. If you're thirsty today spiritually, you are vulnerable. Even if you have, have tasted of God and you know he's good and you're a Christian, but you're not drinking of him because here's the deal. You don't just drink one time. I don't just take one drink of water. I have to continue to drink the water, right? And so it's not enough to just have one drink. I have to continue to drink of Jesus. Thirsty people become vulnerable. I hear people all the time, they'll say, how in the world did that person blow their life up like that? How did they, 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 they go to church, they're Christians. How did their marriage fall apart like that? Let me just remind you, thirsty people are vulnerable people. They really are. I'll tell you how vulnerable it can be. When I was uh, playing ball in high school in the deep south where it's hot, I don't know if y'all know that, down in the south it's hot. It's funny to me, whenever they, whenever they do movies about the south, everybody's always sweaty, they get that part right. The southern accents are always horrible, okay? So, uh, and, and they're, never, they're never good accents. They're, they're doing their best, but everybody's sweating because they do know well in the South it's hot. And they're right about that. It's hot. And so, when you do sports outside, it's really hot. But I was in the early 90s, and it's changed a lot, guys. Now, nowadays, there's a lot of sensitivity when it comes to the kids and sports and all that. Coaches have to be very, very careful. Today, if you're a coach and you yell at a kid and their parents are in the stands, those parents are probably going to run over there to you and tell you, don't you ever talk to my little Johnny like that again. Don't ever talk. He is sensitive. You're hurting his heart. Don't do that again. Well, in the early 90s, if my coach yelled at me and my parents were in the stand, I would hear this. Get a little louder, coach. Give it to him. 
He deserves everything he's getting. Come on, lay it on him. That's what, how many of you early 90s people know what I'm talking about before we started bubble wrapping everything, right? Okay. And another thing that my coaches did not think much of is making sure we stayed hydrated. So it's a hot day, and we're all doing two-a-days. And our coaches that day forgot to bring these big orange Gatorade jugs that they would bring full of water. They just forgot them. And my coach was kind of, I'm going to be honest with you, he was a tobacco-chewing and spitting old country boy. And he would just believe in, you know, you'll make it. You'll be all right. It won't kill you. Well, actually, it could. You know what I'm saying? It's like, actually, coach, appreciate you, John Wayne, but uh, we're thirsty. So about halfway through the thing, we're so thirsty, I could feel, I've never had this happen before, my hands started doing like this. Now, now I know that's a very dangerous thing. My hands are like doing, I'm like, hmm, that's weird. And, and ooh, I'm tingly feeling. Things are weird. What's going on? Uh, you're dying. That's what's happening, right? And so I look over, and out in the middle of the field, there was this pump house thing, this little shed. And it had a green, and, and when I say it's the dirtiest water hose that I've ever seen in my life, in my mind, I can still see it had mud and grass and who knows what else caked all over. And it was nasty. And it's just out in the middle. It's got an old rusty knob on it. But I looked over there, and I was standing with some friends, and I said to them, I said, I think, you know, because my hands were kind of clenching up and, I, and, I, and I'm feeling weird. I said, I'm about to go get some water. And they all looked over there like, don't do it, man. Dude, that, that is great. Don't do that. We don't even know where that water's come from. I said, I am thirsty. I am going to get some water. And I walked across that field and I looked up at them like, here we go. This is my moment right now. I don't care what's coming out of this hose is going in my mouth. And I turned that hose in the nastiest water you've ever seen in your life started coming out of that hose, and I lapped it up. <laughs> I'm telling you, I just drank it. Look, and not only at my friends, I'm looking at old Coach John Wayne over there going, you see what you've done to me here? And I drank it. Now, why would I drink such nasty water that on any other day I would not drink? Here's why. Because the thirstier you get, the standard becomes lower for what you're willing to drink. Don't miss that principle. The standard will get lower and lower, and you'll look around and you'll wonder, why did I do that? Why did I start looking at that? We got a generation of men that can't stop looking at pornography. We got kids that are getting married, that getting married, and they still deal with the aftermath of years and years with a phone in their hands in a dark room. And they go, what happened here? Why would I have ever looked at that trash? Because thirsty people will put all kinds of trash in their bodies when they let themselves get too thirsty. We get vulnerable. You look at strong Christians and marriages, you go, how did that happen? Because you got thirsty. It's dangerous. Dehydration is dangerous spiritually. You say, why, did they, why would they have ever walked out of the church? They seem so strong for Jesus. Because when you let yourself get thirsty, you don't keep drinking of Jesus. Well, there's all sorts of rivals out there. In fact, the same John that wrote this and wanted us to know that Jesus offered himself to religious people, he said, you don't have to just know about me. You can drink of me. You can have me. I can quench your thirst. That same John, when he was an old guy, told us exactly what we tend to drink if we don't drink of Jesus. This is very important. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, now watch this. This is a mind-blowing group of scriptures. John, same guy that saw Jesus do that later on, he says, okay, here is what 
the enemy wants you to drink. When you stop drinking of Jesus, here's what every human always turns to. What is the dirty water hose that we always turn to? Here's what he said. He said, do not love the world. That word love, I'm just going to want you to equate it to the word drink. It's the same analogy. He's saying, don't drink of the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, here he goes, verse 16, for all. Everybody say, for all. He's about to tell you the entire playbook of the enemy. He's about to tell you everything that's in the Yeti cooler of hell for you to reach into and drink. Here it is. You ready? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father. So this is not what God wants you to drink. It is not from the Father. It is from the world. And the world's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay. First thing he says is he says, don't drink. Don't love this world. He's not talking about the world like beautiful Columbus, Ohio with the river and everything. He's not talking about creation. That's a different word for world. He's also not talking about people because the Bible says God loves people, right? And we're to love people. So what is he talking about? The Greek word here is cosmos. And the word cosmos in the Greek means a system or a way of doing things. John realized that the temptation for every human being, even when we're Christians, is going to be to stop drinking of Jesus and start drinking of what the world offers you. And he says, and every time it's just three bottles. We think it's so complex. But Satan has never had to uh, widen his, his, his reach because we keep falling for the same three things. It's like a great fisherman. It's like, why would I buy more bait if the fish keep biting? And we keep biting. And the three things he says here, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions. What's he talking about? Well, let's, let's talk about it here. Number one, the desires of the flesh. That means thirsty people drink privately sinful things. The first thing is a sequence. When you don't drink of Jesus, you begin to drink, and everyone can't see it at first because it's private. It's the desires of the flesh that's inside of you. You begin to feed the desires of the flesh. You begin to drink of things that you know. This is you in private. But here's what you learn. The principle is it never stays private. What's in you is always going to come out. It's like a sponge. If a sponge is sitting here, I can't see what's in the sponge. But here's the principle. If I squeeze the sponge, what's in is coming out, right? It's very important for you to understand. You can look the part, but what's in you is going to come out. Thirsty people drink privately sinful things. The next thing he says is the pride of our eyes. That means now it's what I see I want. It's the things outside of me. Thirsty people drink publicly sinful things. If you stay privately thirsty long enough, everyone's going to see that you're thirsty because it will become public. You'll begin to publicly go after stuff. And, and I'm telling you, the pride of the eyes, this is hard for me. I've got incredible church buildings that we've built over the years. And I let, when I flew out of Alabama yesterday, I left going, gosh, I, man, I love our church and I love our, we got such great facilities. Until I got here today and I saw your church. And I thought, well, I like theirs better. Yours is better and really nice. Like, y'all got an awesome place here, don't you? Do you love your place? Can I have it? That'd be nice. Could we just trade? Because you got a nice place. So watch, this is how it works. 
And by the way, it can be much more dangerous than that. I, I, have a, I love Jeeps. I have a Jeep. It's a 2011. It's old. I love it. It's awesome. Most days I'm like, I love my Jeep. Until a brand new Jeep pulls up next to me at a traffic light. Suddenly my heart shifts because I'm a human and I got to watch it. It's why I got to drink of Jesus every day because I am as susceptible as anyone else to drinking the water of the world. The pride of the eyes. And I begin to go, well, I want his Jeep. And then I'll ride down the road in the Jeep that five minutes ago I was totally happy with thinking about why my Jeep's not very good anymore. It can get more dangerous than that. Because some people go, man, I love my spouse so much until I met her. Until I started working with him. Until I started going to lunch with that guy. Until I, till I started flirting at the office with that lady. The pride of the eyes is very dangerous. Satan just keeps pushing the wrong water bottle across the table to all of us. And if we're Christians and we have had Jesus and we begin to drink of the other wells that do run dry, we will face the consequences. Finally, thirsty people drink self-identity. That's what it says here, the pride of life, the pride of possessions. In other words, you begin to say, look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And that becomes the thing you drink. You go, look at how successful I am. And instead of Jesus being your life, you just kind of add him to everything else about your life. You didn't do any subtraction. You just did addition. You added Jesus to your already full and busy life. And yes, I'll go there on Sundays. It's a completely different situation. So as you look at this, you realize, oh my goodness, if we don't keep drinking of Jesus, then we are susceptible to exactly what John's talking about here. And many of you right now, you need to ask yourself, am I drinking of those other bottles? Am I drinking of other water and not drinking of Jesus? Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Don't go to the other wells. Now, Peter and Judas prove to you that being near the water is not enough. Peter and Judas, two disciples, right? Both of them fell Jesus. But Judas was around Jesus just as much as Peter, and he never believed in him. Did you know that? Judas was never a believer. He was never a Christian. He never gave his life to Jesus. Jesus at one point said it would have been better if he had never been born. Now think about that. It's never been spoken over another human. That's incredible. Judas was so close, he heard everything and saw everything Jesus did, but he never took a drink. Being near, listen, even coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than me climbing in my oven at home makes me a biscuit. It does not. We have a big oven, okay? It's a big oven. Sometimes on a cold night, it's nice to just crawl up in it, turn it down on low, and just relax a little bit, you know? But getting in my oven doesn't make me a biscuit. Getting in your garage doesn't turn you into a car. And you sitting in this place today or watching online doesn't make you a Christian. It just got you real close to the water. But did you drink it? Peter, on the other hand, did drink, and he was a Christian, but he stopped drinking for a while. And you know what happened to him? He became what John just said. He became self-aggrandized. He began to look at his life. Look how strong I am. The night before Jesus died, Peter said, I'll go with you to the death. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. You're trying to be Mr. Braveheart right now. And in a few hours, a little girl is going to have you shaking in your boots next to a fire in a courtyard, and you're going to say three times that you don't even know me. You're going to hear a rooster crow, and you'll realize that what I'm telling you is true. Peter, you're drinking of your own water. You're believing your own press clippings, and you need to be drinking of me. And how many of us know the story, right? 
Peter's going to deny that he even knows him. Why? That Because every Christian as well, we become susceptible. And the point today is drink of Jesus. Listen, write it down if you will. Christians must drink of Jesus. We must keep drinking of Jesus. Don't just get near. Don't just know about him. Know him. Drink of him. And how do you drink of Jesus? He tells you. He says, if you're thirsty, drink of me. And then he says, anyone who believes in me, I will make rivers of this water flow out of them. So what does that mean? Drinking means believing. That's what it means to drink of Jesus. How do you drink a person? Well, when it comes to Jesus, you drink of Jesus by believing in him, actively believing in him. As Christians, we drink of the person of Christ given to us in the Bible. We drink of the work of Christ, the gospel, substitutionary atonement on our behalf. And we drink deeply that our identity is in him. We find our identity in him. We're thirsty people who got a drink of Jesus. Amen, church? That's who we are. And Christian growth and health. Like today, if you're a Christian, you want to keep growing and being healthy, you're going to have to spiritually hydrate. It's a result of of spiritual hydration. That's what it is. And the last promise here, much like the chocolate factory for Wonka, is Jesus said, if you will believe in me, if you as a Christian will start drinking of me, he says, I will make living water flow out of you. Think about that. That means that Jesus is saying he will do something in us and then through us. Now, when I was a young man, I would go to camp with my church and I would come home and I would think to myself, I'm going to change my high school for Christ. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I'm not going to look at pretty girls. I'm not going to say bad things. I'm not going to listen to that bad MC Hammer album. That's who was big at that time. You can't touch this. Bum, 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 bum. I see my 90s people. You're literally moving in your seats right now. And that would last until like Monday afternoon, right? Because I was doing it. Jesus said, but if you'll just drink of me, I'll do it through you. It'll flow out of you. You don't have to try so hard. You just get near Jesus, it's going to flow out of you. He does something innocent through us. And so today, my hope is that you will not just get near Jesus, you will drink of him. And if you're a Christian and you know today that you've been drinking of those other wells... I'm begging you to run back to him because I promise you the thirstier you get spiritually, the more vulnerable you're becoming every single day. And you don't have to. You can drink of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus at all, drink of him for the first time. The Bible says, taste and see that he is good. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite authors. So C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. And C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books where this lion... Aslan represented Jesus. And in this particular story, there's a little girl named Jill, and Jill is so thirsty. And she's running through the woods because she can hear a, a creek running with water. And she gets there, and she's so dehydrated, and she sees the water. And she's ready to run to the water and lap the water up, and then she realizes there's a lion standing there, a huge lion. And it terrifies her. His name is Aslan, representing Jesus. And I'd like to read to you their conversation. She stops at the river, and the lion speaks. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill? 
And the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I, if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had be, she'd come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, <laughs> she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, and cities and realms, said the lion. And it didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, then, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming a step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream, then. And Aslan, from this book, and I believe Jesus, speaks to every one of us today with these words. There is no other stream, said the lion. And listen, Christian, you can look all over the place, and I'm here to tell you today, I came all the way from Alabama to tell y'all there's no other stream. There's not another stream. You're not going to make enough money or buy a big enough house or have a perfect, perfect enough marriage or your kids be successful enough. You're not going to find another stream. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Drink of him. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I pray today that you would drive it into our hearts, help us to follow you and not just get near, but to drink of you. And I pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, so much. Thank you.